Hi, I'm Ellen Thomas, Clinical Director at Genomics England, and you're listening to The G Word. Through the conversations we have on this podcast, we hope to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone. Genomics is a word that can trigger really strong responses, hope, fear, anger, and there's a lot of information out there, but it's not all accessible to non-experts. We want to talk more about this word, the G word, genomics. Today, as we mark the International Day of Women and Girls in Science this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Arzu Ahmed, Ethics Lead for Genomics England's Newborn Genome Sequencing Programme, and by Cassie Smith, who works as a bioinformatician in our bioinformatics operations team, to talk about our careers in science. Arzu, I wonder if you could start us off by telling us a bit about your role. What does it mean to be an ethicist in an operational context? Hi, Ellen. Um, Great to join you here today. I think it's helpful to start first by just exploring what do we mean by ethics. And in this particular context, it often involves thinking about the moral and social implications of the science that we're engaged in, and very much thinking about making sure how it is that we can do the right thing, and and that is bringing benefit to patients and not leading to any forms of harm. Um, But often ethics also relates to these questions of values and assessing how it is that different values sometimes come together in competition, um, how it is that we prioritise those values and asking questions like how can we demonstrate our trustworthiness um, rather than assuming that people should just trust us or that we can go out to build trust. So day to day, what does my day look like? I spend a lot of time thinking about and working on questions that others don't necessarily want to answer. So they're often in the gray areas. It's about zooming in to look at the detail of the operations and thinking about uh, how can we connect the dots to to preempt what some of those harms or challenges may be, but also zooming out to take a big picture view and think about what is our overall direction of travel and is it is it a direction of travel that we feel fits with our values And so we do ethics through research, ethics through engagement, and also ethics through deliberating with experts. Um, So it's, you know, asking the right questions, exploring the tensions and developing policies and frameworks and positions and systems that are going to help us live up to our values that we've set out. That's really interesting. So it sounds as if in this context, ethics is not something that's sort of abstracted from um, the reality of day to day life, but it's very much driving what we do on a daily basis in some of these really complex areas that we work in. I think it's also about having ethical foresight um, and thinking, you know, what our work, what our work and programs may lead to in the future as well, and how it is that we can uphold our commitments in light of those future trajectories. Thank you very much, Arzu. That's um, that's really interesting. I'd like to bring in Cassie now because, Cassie, your role is really quite different from Arzu's and you're working in an extremely technical context where you have some very specific skills, for example, your coding skills, which support your role. So can you tell us a bit about what you do day to day? Yeah. Uh, hi, Ellen. Uh, nice to be with both of you today to talk about this. So as Ellen mentioned earlier in the introduction, I work in the bioinformatics operations team in Genomics England. So that means I'm working with trying to return the analysis of genomic data for the usually the NHS 
to uh, to process and return data to the patients. That includes several aspects. So as Ellen mentioned, um, I do a bit of coding. So working on QC monitoring, so quality control of our samples and also monitoring for samples going through our pipelines, making sure there's no errors, um, following up on those errors and what we can do to correct them to get those results back to the patients. And the other half of what I do is working with the the users of our systems and receiving their feedback and trying to help them if they come across any problems, investigating what might be causing them and hopefully fixing them. So it's very, yeah, it's very much operational, uh, a bit as Arzo uh, as Arzi's role is um, but it's also yeah it's very much about getting those results back to the to the patients. Thank you Cassie and that's an absolutely crucial part of, uh, of what we do that process of keeping things moving and keeping any any issues highlighted and, and pushed through so really interesting to hear about that and to hear about how different the work that you both do is in this um, in the same organization and in sort of similar operational context. And I think one of the one of the things that strikes me is the the, the enormous variety of roles that um, that we all work in. And certainly mine is quite different again. So I work with a team of around 10 clinicians at Genomics England, and we really provide some healthcare context across the whole breadth of Genomics England's activities in both healthcare and research. So, for example, some of the things we're working on at the moment are developing the process that we need to return diagnoses to the NHS when researchers report that they think they've found a new diagnosis in a participant of the the research database on the National Genomic Research Library. Um, I've got another part of my role, which is the clinical safety officer. So in that role, I work very much with our technical delivery teams, um, including with um, with Cassie on many occasions, um, making sure that we're developing our healthcare service with really the right focus um, on the patients and the clinical context. And then I also have um, have various sort of wider roles doing teaching, um, teaching students, talking to wider audiences about genomics uh, and seeing patients in clinic. So really, between the three of us, we cover quite a broad range of, of, of activities across the whole work of Genomics England. That leads me on to wondering about um, how we got into our current roles um, and that, that diversity of role that we've that we've described. So I wonder, Cassie, what, my, whether we might start with you, because you've told us about the, some of the very specific skills that you that you use to support your, your operational role. Was that something you always wanted to do? Well, not really. So I wouldn't say I ever had a, a plan of what I wanted to do in life. So actually, when I was about 14 or 15, I specifically told my science teacher I would not be following up with doing any science ever again. And I wasn't interested. And then I then went on to do A-levels, which included science. And then um, I went to university originally to uh, study molecular biology, bits of genetics, but also yeah, molecular biology and other, other aspects around, around that topic. And I was very much focused on getting into the lab and um, doing experimentation and understanding all the the things that would contribute to that. And I found out that I was very much terrible (laughs) at lab work. (laughs) It was not for me. (laughs) I got through, but um, it was not something that I enjoyed or thought that I could spend my life doing, basically. So I then went on to do uh, a master's in the same university. And that was around the same theme of molecular biology but bringing in other uh, other disciplines so um, I learned a bit about chemistry a bit about physics and that was the first time where I learned a bit about coding and after all these years of having no interest in it I found it 
incredibly fascinating and it it worked with my brain in a way that lab work did not (laughs) so that gave me an opportunity to feel like I could still be involved in science I guess because it was something that I enjoyed and I felt that I was good at in a way that the previous things I tried in science weren't so from there I went on to do a PhD using bioinformatics to study parts of mitochondria which are often described as the powerhouse of the cell. That was my kind of foray into academia, I guess. And again, um, it wasn't something that I necessarily could see myself doing forever. And uh, eventually I found myself applying for this role in Genomics England and uh, joining the operations team. And yeah, that's very much given me the opportunity to use both my scientific genetic knowledge, um, my coding skills, and also just develop all that in a way that's just super interesting to me and, and very motivating, while also um, having a real connection to the patients, which is something that I never really had before. That's that's really interesting, and um, and yes, the whole business of sort of finding coding and then absolutely loving it is um, yes, I'm very I'm very jealous because coding is absolutely the superpower of um, of our days, I think, and um, I would love to be able to do the things that you do. So um, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. So I guess Arzu, your route at, into ethics was probably slightly different. Is there an official path to becoming an ethicist? That's a really good question. Um, I've never really thought about it because I never like had this ambition to be an ethicist. It happened in quite a random way. Um, so I come from a background when no, you know none of my parents had been to university, and so I ended up applying for a physics degree because I'd done like maths, further maths, physics, and chemistry for my A levels, um, and I just went for physics as a degree because I enjoyed physics, physics, and had to do the least amount of work for it as a, as an A level. Yeah, so I, I did this physics degree. I remember actually, Cassie, hating coding because we had to code as part of our weekly lab sessions and coding and I did not get along. <laughs> but um, what did happen through physics is that although I, re- I realized I didn't really want to be a lab scientist and um, theoretical physics was interesting, but probably not enough to keep me in there. Um, I actually, through my cosmology module in my final year, became really interested in questions of space and time and how it is that you can draw these kind of philosophical, theological and other considerations from studying the physical systems in the universe. So I then ended up applying for an MPhil in medieval Arabic thought And this was like a two year kind of immersion into medieval philosophy and tracing Greek um, philosophy into the Arabic world through the translation movement. And there was a lot of metaphysics. um, There was a lot of like tracing the uh, kind of history of intellectual ideas in that period. Um, And after that, I ended up doing a lot of I, I, I was always quite interested in community work and working with people on the ground So I engaged in a lot of grassroots work and was heading up an organization called the Center for Islam and Medicine. And I think the Center for Islam and Medicine really brought together my interests in science, religion, ethics. Um, I was addressing questions related to ethical challenges that people from faith communities face in the healthcare setting. And from that, I got interested in philosophy and what is ethics and, you know, what does it mean to have different ethical systems. So I started a master's in philosophy at King's College London. From there, I ended up uh, applying for a job at the Nuffield Council on Bioethics because now I wanted to broaden out from the faith religious perspectives to secular ethical perspectives. And I was became more and more interested in questions that 
impacted all of us as humans engaging with the, the kind of changing face of technology and the role of science and tech in society. At the Nuffield Council, it did some really cool work um, working on the genome editing in farmed animals project. So we're dealing with uh, genetics and genomics in humans, but at the Nuffield Council, we were running a two-year inquiry on, you know, what are the ethics around using gene editing technologies in uh, farmed animals? And I, I guess at the Nuffield Council, we were bridging that gap between what's happening in academia and research and translating it by reviewing what the ethical, social, regulatory and policy implications are and advising policymakers. But when I saw the Genomics England role, I thought, oh, this is an opportunity to really shape the system from within and to design policies rather than just giving advice from a distance and not knowing whether or not the research you've done is having the impact you want it to have. Uh, what would it be like to be in a context where you can really shape these debates live and and follow them through to um, how it is that that these programs are translated into the ground? So it's a it's been a very random and convoluted journey, but at each stage, I think I've just followed what I've been interested in, and somehow the dots are all connecting up, and I'm really enjoying the challenge of being here. That's a fantastic example of um, of how a, such a diverse range of experiences could all come together into a role in science in a way that would have perhaps been difficult to predict in advance. I, I wonder what um, the people around you thought about um, about your move from um, physics into uh, philosophy when that when when you took that decision. I've never been able to explain my choices to my friends. <laughs> I think I, I've always tried to, to 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 share. Oh well, yeah, I'm really interested in this, but um, I think I always gave off the impression that I couldn't stick to anything and I had commitment issues. But actually, what I was doing was really on that journey of building. You know, in in a sense the way in which the medieval philosophers were polymaths because they uh, didn't limit themselves to one subject. Maybe I was kind of living that idealistic dream through my own journey and wanting to know what it would be like to occupy multiple intellectual universes. That's such a cool comparison. I absolutely <laughs> love just, yeah, that, that whole story. And yeah, the comparison to being this like old school polymath, like that's so inspiring. <laughs> Oh my god, I wish. <laughs> it's the dream, but I'm 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 nowhere near it. <laughs> that that's fantastic. Yes, and um, I think I think it sounds as if every stage in that process involved huge amounts of commitment. That's true actually. I should have pushed back. Yeah. Yes, I, I, a lot of the, a lot of the, both of your stories there really, really resonated with um, with me, and certainly, you know, the 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 the, the, um, the story of enjoying science at school but not necessarily thinking of my future as a scientist is certainly, um, in certainly what what I experienced, and and I went into medicine as a way of working in science, but um, in a practical way, um, which you know, of doing something useful. When I while I was at university. I really uh, got into genetics completely by accident. Um, I was, um, we, we all had to do a um, project um, in, the, in our third year at university. And, um, and the, the projects that I applied to do were all oversubscribed. And I didn't do well enough in my exams to get onto any of the projects that I'd applied for. And so I was offered what was left over. And one of the things that was left over was genetics. And so I said, oh, well, I'll do that. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm deeply relieved in retrospect that I didn't do better in those exams because that was really the beginning of a, of a whole career um, in genetics. 
genetics and then and then genomics. So I studied genetics um, at university and then um, discovered a couple of years later that that genetics was actually a clinical specialty as well, so that you could work as a geneticist um, in in medicine, um, which was a very exciting discovery. So um, then set myself on that path, went through uh, specialist training in genetics. Um, I took some time out to do a PhD. Um, that was a very, very exciting time. But um, I um, also concluded that really being in the lab in the longer term wasn't something that was that was for me. I really wanted to work in a more practical role, um, be more more sort of hands on um, on, the, on the ground. And so didn't didn't follow that up as a career. But then got the chance to join Genomics England originally just as a, as a sort of advisory secondment back in 2015. And, um, and I've been here ever since. So um, I worked on the 100,000 Genomes Project, um, preparing clinical data for analysis and then um, contributed to the change we've gone through as an organisation from moving from delivering a project into our current work, um, really focusing on how we translate uh, genomic research into healthcare insights um, and patient benefits. So um, I could definitely not have predicted in advance that I would have ended up where I where I am now um, and still don't think of myself as a scientist, but um, really, really love working on the implementational side um, side of science and very grateful for the, um, the, the, the various um, coincidences that that have brought me to, to where I am now. It's super interesting how all of us are very much invested, I think, in like the practicalities of things, having that real connection and impact to something happening. I don't know, it seems like all of us have kind of mentioned that we enjoy that part of our roles. I think, Ellen, also, that's like such an incredible leg- legacy that to have been here from the 100K and then the transition to the GMS, the Genomic Medicine Service, and now I think there's going to be a lot more happening as well at Genomics England. But what, what an incredible way to have such a huge impact. Yeah, we're all very, very grateful for Ellen. <laughs> yeah. Ellen fan club here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I guess that that leads on really nicely to really thinking about about that question of um, that you were just raising, Cassie, about what's so rewarding about our careers. I wonder if you have any any other thoughts about, about that. Yeah, I think it's come up a bit. Um, so... I was thinking about this in preparation for this podcast because we did like to prepare and um, two things that kind of came up to me as kind of motivators were um, one having that constant ability to learn different things so for me that's continuing to learn on the genetic side but very much also learning on the technical side of things and just learning about I came from a very academic background in the start and learning about a bit more about the corporate world as well so having those different experiences and those 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 chances to learn I think that's something I don't know Arzu and Ellen both of you mentioned that that like just having those interests in things that really drive things forward and the other thing um was as I mentioned the the practicality of feeling that connection to the patient or to the public in Ozu's case just yeah feeling a bit on the front line I guess in a way that academic science doesn't always feel so yeah those are two things that really inspire me through the hard times and the good times I guess <laughs> Yeah, and I think we've been very lucky in, in, in our careers. We are very lucky at this particular point because of the extraordinary changes in genomics that have happened over, over the last few decades. And when I was doing my undergraduate project in genetics, really, you know, it took me weeks and weeks and weeks to, to, to sequence a, you know, a handful of, um, of DNA letters. And, um, and, and now we have these, you know, this extraordinary degree of technolo- technological expansion. And, um, and we're, we're very lucky that we're, we're able to, to witness these times and to really shape uh, what that what that looks like and how we use it and how we ought to use it and how we ought not to use it so I think we yeah it, feel, it feels like feels a good time to be in the world that we're in I think it feels also like 
a real privilege to be able to shape the formative stage of these developments, but also a huge responsibility, knowing that, you know, if if we don't get things right at this stage, all of those things translate into the future services and and what the shape of of genomics looks like so yes it's I, I, you know i love the challenge but also sometimes like do have that sense of oh my goodness are we doing are we getting this right yes and i particularly in the area where you're so focused Arzu, with um, planning what what's going to happen with the newborn genome sequencing program there are just so many possibilities there for how that could work out in the future and um, and I think feeling that sense of responsibility is very important um, in in terms of you know, um, making sure that we really make the most of the technology in that in that very important context. Yeah, and um, there was a really nice thing that Mike Parker raised last week at one of our webinars. He's the chair of our ethics advisory committee. I think we often like to ask, what are the ethical implications of doing something? Uh, but he posed back this challenge. Well, sometimes we also need to ask the question of what are the ethical implications of not doing something and not bringing about potential benefit that we could bring about. So I think there are so many different ways to look at, look at these questions and, yeah, lots, lots to work out, really. Absolutely. And so, Arzu, I wonder, you, we, we've touched a little bit on some of the, the challenges that we've all faced along the, the paths of our careers. And I just wonder whether, whether you had any thoughts about sort of specific challenges or areas of challenge that, um, that you've sort of noticed on your, on your very um, interesting path through your career. Yeah, I think, I, I think um, we kind of work in an area where the stakes are quite high because we're talking about people's lives and the impact on their lives of the work that we do. And one of the things that I often reflect on is the very complicated and, and often unethical past of medical research and how it is that the reality of the harm that was inflicted on certain groups and populations through like fundamentally unethically driven experiments, you know, the way in which that has, I mean, it's, it's difficult to put it into words, but the impact that that's had on different communities and uh, where they are currently at in terms of the, the the trust or the lack of trust that they have in these systems, and knowing that not knowing whether or not these systems and and these you know these developments are for them and whether they can trust these. So I think acknowledging where the public are can often be a real challenge for us because we we work for the public, we work with the public, and we need the public to be able to do the work that we do. But often acknowledging where the public are can, can be a real challenge for us. And how, how, it, how is it that we can kind of approach them in a, in a way that's, that has that humility and the acceptance of, of past injustices, but also carry them with us on that journey so that they really do, they really can feel how it is that the work we do uh, would benefit them. And a lot of that relates to the art of negotiation, consensus building, being able to demonstrate that we we are trustworthy or we can be trustworthy and we're we're invested in building systems that are trustworthy. But there's also this idea of in such an accelerated environment where where there's so much uh, technological change, you know, systems are consistently like constantly being built um how is it that you can design programs and and make them ethical in a way that works for everyone because when things are moving so quickly you know you often have this image of ethicists you know sitting in a dusty library contemplating on the universe and what's the right thing to do but often we don't always have the luxury of that time 
we've got to really be able to connect the dots quickly and uh, raise those questions and shape the decisions at a very, very rapid pace. So I think that's those are definitely some of the challenges that, that I spend a lot of time thinking about. The kind of engagement with different groups and like bringing in diversity and understanding the challenges that different groups face. That's super interesting to me because we need to be able to engage and bring in more of them so that we can give them back better genetic results. So if only a few are are feeling engaged, then we don't have the data to say, for example, is this variant very common in this specific population? So yeah, we just, we need all that background and a super engaged group of people to be able to give those really good results back to people. So yeah, it's it's such an interesting topic. I'm so glad you, you had the chance to explain that challenge. Yeah, I think like making sure that equity, fairness, inclusivity, justice, diversity, they're all at the forefront of our minds whenever we're designing our systems, because we want the benefits of genomics research and the advances in genomics to reach all communities. And at the moment, we know that's not the case. We know that we don't really have those communities in sight. We don't necessarily have the right language and the right tools to be able to work with these communities. Although, I'd say that as Genomics England, it's it's been really great for me coming in to see that our engagement team are making such a huge effort to uh, find new ways of engaging with a diverse range of publics. But as I think overall as a society, we have a, very, a long way to go. Yes, and I think that's one of the things that I really love about working at Genomics England is the fact that we can bring together people with a strong technical understanding of, of these questions, um, Cassie and her, her colleagues, and then we but then we sit really closely alongside people who have a completely different perspective from you know from the ethics side, like 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 you and your colleagues in the ethics team, Azu, and bringing those sets of expertise together into one organisation where we can all tackle these approaches from from our own individual perspectives. I think is um, is really powerful and also really exciting. Um, it's it, it's a very exciting challenge to be facing. So thank you for thank you for telling us um, more about that. I guess one of the uh, one of the questions that we that we have been sort of thinking about a bit in terms of um, challenges that have faced us is the question of you know what does it mean to be a woman in a in a career um, in in science? And it's quite interesting that um, that sort of talking to both of you about this before, we've all actually um, observed quite a lot of gender balance overall in the in the, the roles that we've done. Um, there are some roles that that, um, that do have a sort of some some degree of skew between them the um, number of men and number of women working in those roles but overall we've all worked with a large number of women and had lots of wonderful women colleagues and women mentors and um, as, as well as lots of lots of wonderful men that we've worked with interestingly you know I certainly don't feel that being a woman has held me back in any way or that I've had problems with my career because of being a woman I do, do definitely note the fact that um, I had two maternity leaves and a decade um, in my career when I was working part-time and that definitely slowed down um, the the progression of my career while I was doing that but um, my feeling about that is that that's really how I chose to spend my time and I don't regret that at all I was very pleased to be able to have the flexibility to keep my career going while I um, was also able to focus on my my young family Um, and um, interestingly now that both of my children are at secondary school I now feel fully free to work full-time again and um, I feel I've been able to in a sense catch up on quite a lot of the the uh, the, the elements that maybe did slow down while my children were young so um, I definitely feel that the system did provide the flexibility it wasn't always easy it was often you know one often had to sort of advocate a bit for the for the for the, um, the, the ability to work in that flexible way but the system did provide that flexibility and I think that's 
absolutely crucial. And I'm certainly, you know, delighted that I'm able to re-engage fully with my my career now without uh, you know, without any um, impact on on my family life. So, you know, that was just a few reflections on on some of the um, potential challenges, which actually I feel very lucky that I don't feel I've really um, necessarily encountered. I think in um, in like my I remember in my undergraduate like phys- the physics degree we didn't have as much of a gender balance there but I was at a, a women's only college so I kind of made up for it there but um even at the Nuffield Council of Bioethics we have like we we had almost like well with the exception of two of our colleagues it was an entirely female team in the newborns I think up until recently we had an all women's team again so although there is this sense that you don't really find as many women in science and women get missed out of science. I think I've, I've been really lucky and fortunate to work with incredible women um, in, in large numbers. We're quite lucky to have had the experiences that we have. Yeah, on the, the more, I keep referring to it as following Ellen as the more technological side, and I never feel it's that technological, but I guess um, that's just one of those things. But on kind of the more, yeah, the more bioinformatics side and kind of um, computational platform side, it does skew a little bit more male, I think. I have to say, uh, the team I'm currently in does not skew male. <laughs> and there's very much lots of amazing women in the team with me, but there are parts of the of the wider team that definitely skew more male. But um, I have to say I'm very similar. I've never felt not supported for, for being a woman in the different stages of my career. The coding and bioinformatics side was definitely a bit more male um, dominated, but that has never felt like it's impacted me negatively, personally. Excellent. And so I suppose that that leads us on really to thinking about whether there are any sort of particular sort of um, tips we would have for, for, for women considering a, a career in, in science. So I don't know, Arzu, whether, whether there's anything that, um, that you would advise the next generation of, um, of women thinking about a career in science. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, it's difficult for me to give advice because I, I, I kind of made it up as I went along. But... I think being open to uncertainty and not worrying so much about having every step planned out, but making sure that at each stage in your life, you're really following what interests you. Uh, Life is so precious. We really shouldn't be spending any time doing things we don't enjoy and being in places where we don't really want to be there. So I'd say, you know, figure out what values are important to yourself, what brings you that sense of contentment, fulfillment, you know, what it is that life is calling you to in every moment and respond to that. And it will eventually make sense and the dots will join up and you'll find a coherency that you perhaps didn't sense as you were going through that period. So that's, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. And I guess I I would say sort of following on from that similarly, um, I think following what you want to do, it's the most important thing. I would never have had any idea that I would end up in the role I am today or having any of the skills that I do today, really. If you'd asked me when I was 15, 18, 20, maybe even, um, it wasn't anything I even knew existed, the kind of more operational side of things. So yeah, um, having that flexibility and openness and following what you want to do and not not just seeing a, a single path, like becoming a scientist in academia and publishing a million papers. And there's there's a lot of other options that might fit people better um certainly fitted me better so um yeah just having that openness 
we're all nodding our heads furiously. <laughs> we we are absolutely, and I think the um, the one of the one of the things that we all share in common is that we didn't sort of set out to be a scientist. You know, we none of us thought um, when we were you know when we were thinking about our careers, I wanted to be a scientist, and actually we've all got careers in science which have allowed us to follow the things that we're interested in to have different phases for us to follow the technology or the thought process or the evolution of of our own um, of our own journeys um, and so you know just don't rule anything out absolutely I, I think that's a that's a, a brilliant um, brilliant piece of advice and I, I think the um, you know certainly um, anybody that's thinking of um, of a career in genomics I would say absolutely go for it you know it's such an exciting area to to work in and I think there are so many exciting things that are that are going to happen in the in the coming years that um, do do come and join us in the in the genomics workforce and bring all of the um, the wonderful diversity of your ex, your own experience um, to, to to join us in genomics and um, we've got so many things that are likely to happen over the next few years we've got new areas in which we can use genomics like the newborn screening program we've got an increasing focus on not just diagnosing patients but also in how do we treat them and how do we manage them and how does genomics play a role in that we have new ways of um, researching treatments, doing treatment trials, new ways of understanding and dividing up diseases and new ways of thinking about how do we harness the power of genomics and how do we understand best what it's, where its powers lie and, and where, um, it's, where it's not likely to be the answer and, and therefore use it to best effect. So, um, so very exciting times, I think, um, coming up. Cassie, t- tell me, what, what else do you, think, um, do, do you think, can you see coming in the, in the future? Yeah, I think... Like you say, it's so exciting, the whole world of genomics. And from kind of a more technological side, again, um, there's all the different new sequencing technologies. Um, I, I feel like more coming to fruition now. So kind of looking at long read technologies to look at bigger changes in the genome and using those in, in clinical practice to give the best results to patients um, and also just general pipeline improvements, algorithm improvements. There's always new publications and new systems and new software to explore and um, to just, yeah, to just get those better results back to the people that want them really. Brilliant. And where, where are things heading in your area, do you think, Azu? In terms of ethics and engagement, we're really seeing genomics entering the, the public conscience in, in, in a different way. There are going to be more and more questions from people, they're going to become more interested and invested in how it is that their data is governed, what that means. I also think that there's, there are really exciting things happening with public dialogue and uh, setting up more spaces for people to engage in that public debate about the future possibilities of genomics and how they're going to impact their lives. I'm hoping that machines are not going to replace ethicists and that we'll still be here. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I'm also quite excited about the fact that there's a growing acknowledgement that the diversity of our roots and our experiences makes us stronger and allows us to do what we do better. So I'm seeing, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot more on that front as well, translating into our data sets, but also into the ways that we work and what it is that we're working towards. That's a really inspiring place to to leave the conversation. So thank you both very much indeed for uh, joining me today and for sharing your journeys. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to this discussion about the G word and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it comes to the mainstream of healthcare and society. You can find out more about us on Twitter and on our website, www.genomicsengland.co.uk, to discover the work we do. And if you have any views on these topics or have a person in mind you would like us to interview, do write to us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. Remember to subscribe to The G Word on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. 
and that if you've enjoyed listening, giving us a five-star review really helps other people find out about the series. We appreciate your support. So until next time, thank you for listening to The G Word.